I'm Tyler Smiley. And I'm John Morrison. And this is the Rooted and Grounded podcast. Rooted and Grounded creates theological content to grow the church in our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. Was that a question? Check out more at rootedandgrounded.co. I know we can't put question marks on the teleprompter. I was kind of just thinking, how can I put different inflections as I read this? I like to mix it up, keep some guessing. It's not just the same thing over and over again. I think we've made it abundantly clear that the introduction is not recorded. It is a live read. It would it would be so much better if it were recorded in the sense that it would say the right thing every time. What if we got someone famous to do the introduction? Like? Ooh. I don't know. Ooh. Who has a good, good brogue? Well, that's why I do it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but Just apparently that's nasally not Nasally old me over here. Sorry. So we're, this is the Eden to Exile OT19 podcast, and we are in week five. So if you've not yet listened to the discussions for the previous week's readings, you can go back and do those in this same stream. Just click around until you find it. But this week in particular is week five, and the readings, the daily readings, were Genesis 16 through Genesis 20. So uh, what we'll be covering this week are those chapters. And, you know, I can't believe, John, that we are getting close to the halfway point through Genesis. We're almost there. Almost there. 50 chapters total. We're at 20 at the end of this week. That's right. So next week, next Friday, we'll hit the halfway point through Genesis. It's going by pretty fast. It is. Turns out, pretty engaging book. So we want to cover, man, last week was a big week. A lot to cover last week. Those chapters. Yep. A lot in there. And uh, you could really say the same probably about all of them, but this one feels the same, but it, it feels like there's a lot in there because of the because of the narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, in last week, it was like each of those five chapters, they come back up sometime in the Bible again. That's right. Whether it's in you know, the Old Testament, the, the story recounting those events, or whether it's in the New Testament with uh, at Pentecost or Stephen at, at his martyrdom, et cetera, et cetera. They kind of keep coming up. Now, I think uh, the New Testament connect that Benji... Lavender wrote for this week, which hopefully uh, our folks will have a chance to read that. You know, he'll he'll show how this is connected explicitly to Galatians as well, but most of these five chapters is just a lot in there because it's narrative. Mm-hmm. They're just like the story. There's so much happening. Yeah, and probably, I mean, so but two things, I don't know, sort of intertextual, like these other things that keep, these are recurring themes. Right, Sarah and Hagar. Right in Galatians, circumcision. I mean, this is a big deal, both in the Old Testament about right. I don't just want you to be outwardly circumcised, but I want your hearts to be circumcised. Yep. Again, Gal- circumcision in Galatians, Sodom and Gomorrah as sort of the a prototype of what it means to be handed over to sin. Yep. So I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot going on here that we need to look at. All right, so uh, we should probably just start in 16, since that's the first one we read. Because and it comes after 15, but before 17. That's right. Yep. And if you didn't recognize that uh, 
that shout out, that was a shout out to last week's podcast, which you could go back and you will be fascinated about how the numerals of the chapters of the Old Testament connect and are important. I think this is how we know we're really getting along into podcasting is we have like our own inside jokes within the podcast. Uh, you yeah. know, I've really heard that's a thing. Yeah, I've heard that's a thing. Yeah. If you have your own inside jokes, it's, I don't know, creates community around yeah, your podcast. Yeah, it feels like yeah, you're part yeah, of something. Yeah, that's right. I think the challenge will be that some people don't find us amusing. Yeah, are they jokes, actually? I don't know. And we have a good time with it. All right, 16. So in 16, we have the story of uh, Abram and Sarai. Now let me ask you this practical question. Should I call him Abraham before he's renamed Abraham? Or should I call him Abram? I never know. Uh, you know... Do you have a preference? No, I just sort of say whatever comes to mind. Okay. But that, I mean, that's sort of my general policy in life, too. I don't have a filter. But, yeah, I, if I'm reading, I'm going to read Sarai and Abram. Right. But often in my mind when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking Sarah and Abraham. So I'll just... Yeah, I don't Either really way. have a preference. Either way is good. Yeah. So in chapter 16, Sarah and Abraham are still trying to figure out how they're going to have a child because God has promised them right. that. God has promised them a child. We have this huge covenant ceremony in 15. You get to 16, and it's, all right, God, we trust you, but how are we going to make this happen? So when I read this, I mean, you, you've we've realized this up to this point, but in 16... You see it again, that they're trying to figure this thing out on their own. They're trying to make it happen themselves. And I just don't we're I just don't want it to come across in any way that we're commending what Abram and Sarai are trying to do. Yeah, I'm, the slogan of this chapter is probably if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Like God has these promises. But if they're going to come true, I've got to make them come true. So it's really, I mean, I think you read this as a chapter that is a chapter of a lack of faith uh, on the part of Sarai and Abram. So Sarai and Abram decide that the best thing for them to do to get a child is to have one of the maidservants in their home give Abram a child. Right. So, and this is kind of her idea, Sarai's idea. It's kind of both, but she kind of comes up with the idea and says, well, you know what? Here is Hangar. Have her. And this is how this is how we'll get that child. Right. Which seems seems strange to us. Very strange. Uh, clearly is antithetical to what the Bible teaches in Genesis 2 about man and wife becoming one flesh. But fairly common practice in the ancient Near East, it seems like, and something that we'll see again with Jacob uh, and his basically four wives. Right. right. Yeah. So uh, not an uncommon practice, but an unbiblical practice. That's uh, right. Yeah. This, this is not like a good thing that they're deciding to do. Yeah. So we see, I mean, I think we've seen this as a temptation to give in the culture, right? This is what the surrounding, right? This is what they do in the surround. This is what everyone else does. So... Their, their cultural thinking is infiltrating how they're understanding God's promise. And a lot of people when they who a lot of people who don't like Christianity, I think, like to read these passages and say Christianity is totally upside down and backwards and inside out and all messed up. Because look at what they're doing. 
like, and this is just like all good that they're doing all these things they want to do. You know, have your wife and have your concubine and have your maidservant and just do whatever you want to do. Like, doesn't really matter. Whatever he wants to do, he gets to do. And that's not what this text is trying to say at all. I think that becomes really clear. I mean, you could you could show it in so many different ways. But just look at how disastrous the situation goes immediately after this happens. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, I mean, it, the tension and the strife in the family between Sarai and Hagar, but clearly between Abram and Sarai as well. Uh, and just the the effect of their lack of faith, their sin, on their whole family. It's devastating. So in 16.2, Sarai says to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And this is the phrase I want to pick up on. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Uh, I think that's picking back up on Adam and Eve what what commentators will call a motif, what I'll just call a sort of a repetition or a rhythm or uh, this repetitive. I thought you were going to use intertextuality because I thought that really impressed people. But okay, motif, uh, <laughs> repetition, that's fine. That just like in the garden, they ought to have both known better, and yet right. they chose to do exactly what God had commanded them not to do, Adam and Eve. Take of the fruit of the tree that they both knew they weren't supposed to eat. And in this situation... You just want to say, well, they certainly both should have known better. And you can even look back and say, before uh, before Abram and the whole crew left Haran to go mm-hmm. into the land that God had promised him in Genesis 12, that Sarai was with them when they left with Abram's father and brothers. That's right. Out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And so they come out. They're all going together at this point, seemingly... I mean, we would think they all kind of know what's happening at that point. And then in Genesis 12, it's uh, explicitly stated, go out from your forefathers, go to the land, I'll show you. So they're going together. Sarah's there with him. And so they both ought to have known better at this point. And instead of correcting each other, instead of Sarai saying, Abram, have, have Hagar. That's how we'll have a child. Abram should have said, no, God has promised mm. that we will have a child. And I think, now you can edit this out later if you want, but I think in uh, in this context, it's particularly a condemnation of Abram that here is the one who has spoken directly with God. Right? We haven't gotten to 17 where the Lord speaks with Sarai, right? but it's, it's actually the Lord has covenanted with Abram. And he should be the first one to say, no, 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 trust the Lord. But instead, he listens, he's passive in this. And even as you go down, and Sarai's upset, right, that Hagar has shown contempt for her, that's basically saying, look, I got pregnant, you didn't. I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the woman in the house, not you. And Sarai's, right, may the wrong, Sarai said to Abram, this is 16.5, may the wrong done to me be on you. And go down, <coughs> And so Abram's response to her complaint is, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And my understanding from reading about this time period, reading about the ancient Near East, is that the expectation would be for the patriarch of the family to be the one 
who set who set things right, mm-hmm. who adjudicated this decision, made things right, and sort of made peace in the family. And yet here again, Abram's passing the buck and saying, "All right, do with you what do with her what you will." Twice in the same situation. Yeah, and what happened? I mean, and it's it's awful for Hagar. Hagar almost dies. That's right. Like she goes out in the wilderness, and it's the angel of the Lord who comes and rescues her. So from there on, from that, I mean, that just spirals totally out of control. Through Ishmael, the son that Hagar does have, uh, and with their whole family, and I mean, so it's just a catastrophic situation. And what a re- isn't that a reminder that our sin's not just a personal matter? That's right. right. It ripples through our families, through our communities. All those we interact with, everyone around us, but then also generationally, there's mm. there's an impact of our own sin generationally. Right. It doesn't just stop with us. It happens on and on again. So sixteen, I just think it's I, I just think it's showing an a faith the faithfulness of God, even amidst the unfaithfulness of Abram and Sarah to do what See this. See that time I did Abram and Sarah. I see what you did there. That's real confusing. Yeah, that'll do it. Even amidst their unfaithfulness to do what God has called them to do, and to trust in the promise that God has given them. So you mentioned earlier, off air. Yep. Pre pre recording. Yep. About like this chapter showing us why we can't read Abraham as the hero of the story. Could you elaborate on that a little? Because I think that's really helpful. Because normally, when we're reading the Old Testament, we think, "Man, I want to have faith like Abraham." I want to be strong like Samson. That's right. You read the Old Testament and these Old Testament stories, and you see these people coming through and all the amazing things that God does through them in so many different ways. And uh, and I just think we're tempted to take that and teach it to say, so now be like Noah. Now go be like Abraham. Um, now go be like David. Mm. Now go have the wisdom of Solomon. Um, and then you even get to the New Testament, I think the same thing happens again, to where you're tempted to say, be like Peter, be like Paul, be like Luke. You know, I mean, and over and over again, you just see where each one of them failed. Mm-hmm. I mean, Noah, saved on the ark with his family, immediately fails, falls into sin. Uh, Abram, obviously his life isn't worth imitating because of... I mean, it's what you read here. This wasn't brought up at the marriage conference last weekend. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We didn't talk about that last week. Yeah, I mean, they didn't bring up, uh, you know, handing your wife over to uh, Pharaoh. Didn't talk about, you know, having your concubine come in if you can't have children. If you get in a bind. Yeah. um, Just pretend she's your sister. Uh, Yeah. Maybe, so, not necessarily commendable behavior. That's right. So, what's the point? Why, Why include these stories? I think the point is exactly to say, look what God will do when he is faithful, even though we are unfaithful. I mean, I think that's the point of the story. And then ultimately, we still, it's a right thing to long for a hero. Mm. I think that desire in our hearts is the right thing. We, it's the right thing to want the good king. It's mm-hmm. the right thing to want the hero to save you. It's, and... But ultimately, it's never any of these people. It's never any of them because they all fall short until you get to Christ. And then he's the one, finally, that steps in and does what's right in the eyes of the Lord. He, and he becomes our hero. He, becomes the, he is the good king that we've longed for for so long. 
He's the true son of David, the true son of Abraham, the promised offspring. He's one greater than Solomon. Right. He's the Lord's warrior. He's the second right. Adam. Yep. I mean, he, it's all the things that we've hoped for to find in all these people. So is it, is it a good thing to say uh, Abram, Abram exercised faith when he left his, his father's country and went to, the land, to go to the land that God would show? Is it right to say... Abraham exercised faith in that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible even says that yes. in Romans 4, that Abraham was saved by faith, uh, justified by faith. And so uh, it's it's right to say that. But if you stop there, I think you've missed the final and most important point. I agree. I think that's good. So we can say, we can learn practical lessons about a life of faith from Abraham. But those should, yes. those should always be pointing us to the one, to the faithful one behind the story. That's right. And then the faithful one who comes that's right. in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. That's how I would read it and understand it. Uh, so 16 and then in 17, you mentioned how the theme of circumcision, circumcision was one that, I mean, so it's in 17, and then that really, boy, you want to talk about something that stretches all the way into the New Testament and becomes a major issue in the early Christian church. This was one of them, big time. So what's going on in 17 with circumcision, and and uh, how does this start to become an issue later on? In a small group Bible study this morning, Yeah, uh, one of the guys was talking about the the joy slash challenge of trying to explain this to their elementary school age sons, like what's going on here. and uh, Or to teach this in any setting. It, to but, teach it in any setting. I mean, I'm just going to be brash. You just think, how many times can I say circumcision? And it, you just want to, you want to avoid saying it as you, as oh. mini, as minimally as possible. We once were in college and uh, that a cruise, campus crusade winter conference used to be Christmas conference. Now it's winter conference. Uh, Make of that what you will. And, uh, and oh, I just remember the speaker over and over again saying, circumcise your hearts, circumcise your hearts. You're just like, come on, buddy. Don't what you just a bunch of college guys. Can we, can we like get another metaphor here? Eventually, you just cringe a little bit. So little I don't bit. want to say that word like a thousand times in this podcast. Too I late. Just, I feel our viewership will just really tank if we do that. And we don't want that. So, all right, let's try to talk about it without saying it, though we all know what we mean. Fair? You're so, you're so wise. <laughs> yeah. So with, with this, it's a sign of God's covenant, of God's promise. And it's a, you know, I think it's, we don't know exactly why God chose this particular sign, but I think it's tied to his promise of offspring. Right, that this central promise is that God will bring a promised seed. I mean, this goes back to Genesis 3.15, right? That God is going to bring a promised seed, one born of Eve, a promised offspring to save his people, to bring us back to the garden, mm-hmm. to bless the world, mm-hmm. to crush the serpent, all those things. And so it seems like this is tied in with why circumcision is chosen. But it's... It's always coming after faith. That's right. This is a point Paul makes repeatedly that we get in 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, was credited to him as righteousness. And now, later, 17, 
we get the sign of the covenant. We get this outward sign of what's really an inward reality. Mm-hmm. And so the physical sign has always been meant to point to the inward reality. The problem becomes later in the Old Testament and into the New Testament that the outward sign is seen as what makes you right with God. And it's not just circumcision. It's, I mean, think about Isaiah. And chapter 1, God is saying, hey, I'm not going to accept your sacrifices anymore. This does, these don't please me because your heart is far from me. That's right. And it's not, we get to the New Testament, it's a temptation for the churches in Galatia right, to use these outward signs as a means of pleasing God. But we'd probably say it's a temptation today as Christians to think, if I just do the right thing, God's going to love me more. Yes. Or, oh, I didn't read my Bible this morning. God doesn't love me as much. That's right. And that's not the way. That's not God's economy. That's right. I mean, the economy is that Christ has done it. And so in union with him, as you're found in him by faith, God accepts you and loves you unconditionally. It's the grace of God that these seemingly ordinary things become extremely important. Right. Like like this, like baptism, I mean, the putting un, of someone underwater, like the bread and the wine at the Lord's table. Uh, I'm just going biblical on us, you know, cup, wine. It was at the Last Supper. Uh, that these seemingly ordinary things are made extremely important. But if you lose sight of their ordinariness, in that kind of way, mm-hmm. and put too much emphasis on them, then you're just flipping upside down what God is intending to do with that all along. So Philippians 3, uh, on this topic, Paul writes, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who served God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, Paul says, though, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And then he goes out to list them. But you just think, I mean, at, at some point when you're putting so much emphasis on that, you say well, you're just mutilating your flesh. I mean, that's mm. that's what's happening in the physicality of this. Now, in God's divine plan and grace, this became a sign of his love and his covenantal promise to his people. But when you flip around exactly what you said, those two things, and start to put that before our faith in Christ Jesus, then you've you've lost the picture altogether. And I think one of the helpful things with, with what you talked about, with baptism, with the Lord's Supper, so those ordinances, the sacraments of the church, that the Reformers are very helpful here, Augustine's helpful here, that the Word and the sacrament have to go hand in hand. And that helps us keep the priority of faith, that it's not just get wet in baptism, eat a little bread at church, but it's that the gospel is proclaimed in those things, both in word, vocally, and in deed. And I think that's a helpful, one of those helpful rules that keeps the priority of faith in that, that as we celebrate these as a church together in the context of the gospel being proclaimed, then that helps us keep the priority right. And so that's one of the reasons we say these are ordinances given to the church and not things that I go and do on my own at my house. 
because it's about mm-hmm. it's not just about the thing but it's about what is symbolized and the word gives us the clarity of that symbolism so that's sort of chapter 16 to 17 can we talk about something 17 i know yeah isaac's birth the prediction yes the laughter yeah 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 i just i think this is great so we get in 15 in 15 right that there that he is to be named isaac is that yes. 15 that is in 17 we definitely have in 17 i thought it was earlier too but anyway nonetheless all right so we get that he's going to be named isaac and isaac means laughter yeah but in this sense <clears throat> the laughter is sarah's scoffing i mean yeah, that's right uh i mean and abraham scoffing right then so only 17 17 then abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old shall sarah who is 99 years old bear a child uh right so there's there's this almost this scoffing that god could do this and the same thing with sarah right that she is hidden in the tent mm-hmm. in chapter 18, in 18. right mm-hmm. that uh and this is pretty clearly i think an episode where she's just like no no this can't be true yep uh so sarah this is 1812 so sarah laughed to herself saying after i am worn out and my lord is old taking a little shot at abraham it is shall i have pleasure shall i have this pleasure and then the lord said to abraham why did sarah laugh and say shall i indeed bear a child now that i am old is anything too hard for the lord she's she's scoffing at this idea yep uh, so there's just they're scoffing at the impossibility of it, but then when we get over, this is outside our week's reading, but you get over to chapter twenty one mm-hmm. and twenty one six, and Sarah said, "This is after the birth of Isaac. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Who would have said to Abram, Abraham, that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son in his old age." It's, it's like the Lord's promise is able to take this from the scoff of unbelief to this joyous laughter of a fulfilled promise. And I just, and there are a lot of ways to think about that, but I just think about the way we come to faith in Christ from sort of a scoffing unbelief, there's no way this could be true, to the joyous laughter of being part of God's family that we are adopted into his family. I, I just think it's a beautiful picture of what God does and really, even God's patience with us. Yep. Like, I mean, Sarah is, I mean, that's just mocking God, saying, yep. yeah, you can't do this. Yep. But then he turns that into this joyous occasion. Right. Also, like another theme that plays itself over and again throughout the Scripture, this, uh, you know, this birth narrative yes. comes up again and again. Yeah, over, over and over again. These miraculous births that... Those who are barren can have children. So, I mean, some of the big... Oh, it's Old and New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's Hannah yep. bearing Samuel. Yep. It's Elizabeth bearing John the Baptist. Yep. But, of course, these are all pointing to one miraculous birth. That's right. right the birth of Jesus That's right. to the Virgin Mary. That's so right. So, it's... Uh, right, we're looking... This pro- I mean, it's sort of amazing, right? This This interlocking here that we're... We're looking for this promised seed, this promised offspring, and there are these series of miraculous births that get us closer and closer. But there's, 
I mean, there's none more miraculous than the one conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's right. And born of the Virgin Mary. That's right. I mean, it's wow. Is I mean that that great line there in chapter eighteen, right? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Mm-hmm. And Scripture's answer seems to be no, no, clearly no. There's nothing too difficult for God to do. That's right. Uh, we're running out of time, and I want to, if we could, tease for Benjamin Lavender's devotional for Saturday. Okay. Can we tease that just a Please touch? Please do. You're going to read an excerpt? excerpt? I want to read an excerpt. It's a and difficult then, word. It is. And then I want to just tease a little bit on where Benji's going to go with this. Okay. And help Let's our people start to see it. Um, the last sentence of this particular paragraph in the devotional that Benji wrote, well, let me read the last two. Paul reiterated that being God's people, Abraham's true spiritual offspring, was not a thing to be achieved by keeping the law, but rather was to be received as a gift through faith in Christ who redeemed them from the curse of the law. See Galatians 3, 10 through 14. As Paul told the Galatians, quote, Galatians 3, 29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So when we're reading this about the promised blessing to Abraham to have an offspring who will be blessed, who will receive God's blessing, that it becomes a question of, well, then, if Abraham's children are the ones who are blessed, well, then who are Abraham's true children? Mm. I mean, is it is it Ishmael or is it Isaac? Is it Jacob or Esau? Is it who? Who is it? Where do you find yourself if if Abraham's children are the ones who are blessed? How do you become a part of that? And I want in. I mean, that seems to be like kind of the the argument and the tension, right? How do you become a child of the promise, not a child of destruction? That's of right. A lack of faith. Yep. Of whatever. Insert your word there. Yep. How do we? enter into that promised seed. And if it was based on your own good deeds, Abraham seemed to have taken himself out of the running. If it was based on his just good deeds of his life. Isaac, not too far behind. Isaac is right there with him. Uh, Jacob. I mean, maybe the worst of the bunch. That's right. And then you think, oh, well, maybe finally it'll be corrected. But his 12 sons don't seem any better. No, I mean, it's Cain and Abel all over again. And then even the youngest, you think, oh, well, just... Poor, pitiful him. So now he's pretty arrogant. He was pretty arrogant. Let's just be honest. You know, he was arrogant. Yeah. I mean, so there's like, so how do you get in on that? Well, it can't be by your own good deeds because that never worked. They they would have all been out. So, again, only by faith. But then finally, you have Jesus Christ stepping in. And he is declared to be the truly and only righteous one. So if you are then found in him, you're Abraham's heir. Which, I mean, that's a big deal, right? In the Bible. Yes. That's a huge deal in the Bible, right? That you want to be an heir of Abraham, so you be a child of the promise. That's right. Help us understand. Anything else we need to know about that? I mean... I mean, read Galatians 3. That's right. It's it's great that 
this is this is the blessing that the Lord promised Abraham like that this funnel like that he was going to be a funnel of blessing to the nations but it's not just coming it's not that it's just coming through Abraham but it's Abraham that leads us to Christ that then fans out so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles to the nations to all peoples so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And this blessing is nothing short of being restored to communion with God that we had in the garden. Yep, there's always so much to say about these five chapters that we read each week, and our time always goes so fast. And I know people have more questions. You know what I think they should do if they have questions? Email smiley at lakewoodlife.org. See, you can say all you want to say, but I edit the podcast. And I can just take that right out, and instead I'll insert my voice over that. J.D. Morrison. That's actually Lake. not my email. Oh, is it not? See, oh, I don't boy. have to have a middle initial. Oh, right. is it J. Morrison? It's J. Morrison. Let the record show. If you have questions, J. Morrison, M-O-R-R-I-S-O-N, at lakewoodlife.org. Been getting more and more spam recently, turns out. I bet I know why. <laughs> or, even better, you could call 770-532-6307 and ask for Dr. John Morrison. Anytime, and he'll be happy to answer your questions. And next week, we'll be back to talk about the next five chapters of Genesis and continue our OT19 reading. Thanks for your time today, John. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler.